Hey, I'm Allison here. A quick disclaimer. I took a break from this audio platform to explore another distribution avenue as I'm pivoting the nature of this show, this podcast, to be the place where entrepreneurs come to build their business through podcasting. It made sense to return here. This episode was recorded prior to the 2020 election, but is still really relevant to the healing of our nation. And what I loved about this episode is that politically, Eileen left and my guest Esther Joy King ran for a seat in Congress on the Republican ticket. And what was astounding to me is that during our conversation, we both caught ourselves in our own biases and we dismantled them in real time together. It gave me a lot of hope and thought it reflected what our relationships are like in real life, but also kind of paved a path forward. I'd love to know what you think and encourage you to reach out to me and tell me what stands out for you. But I can't wait to share this episode and I appreciate you listening. Hey, I'm Allison Hare and welcome to Culture Changers, the podcast that brings you unconventional wisdom by uncommon people. Together, we are shattering old paradigms to reshape our world and inviting you to make your own mark. Let me get straight to it. I have a burning question. Is there a way to safely talk to people who disagree with you politically, like people in your family or your friends, your loved ones? I mean, we've all had those lively and sometimes damaging encounters at Thanksgiving. For me, I have people really close in my family that politics are just plain off the table when we're together. It's too charged. It's too personal. But there's also a gnawing feeling that it is so personal, but you still have to hide it. A few weeks back, I posted a question on Instagram asking, is there a way to unite the left and the right? Or is it just a lost cause? Well, Esther Joy King had reached out and said, hey, I'm running for U.S. Congress representing the 17th District of Illinois. I talk about how important it is to be open with your political stances to come to a better understanding. And I'd love to come on your show. So I started investigating. Esther is running on the Republican ticket. She's younger. She's an entrepreneur. She served in the military and worked as an aide in Afghanistan prior to that. She had such an interesting patchwork of experience, and her position of hoping to unite was compelling. I was nervous. I have to admit, I was nervous to have her on because I have shied away from exposing my own personal politics for fear of being attacked or judged. But then I realized that unless I'm having honest and open conversations and trying to understand all sides, then I was part of the problem. And I want you to pay really close attention as our conversation took an unexpected turn that afforded us the opportunity to work through a difference in perceptions in real time. I appreciated her honesty and her willingness to go there with me. As you listen today, go to the live chat feature on BYLR Radio and let me know how this conversation is hitting you. And I hope you share it with people who also struggle with how to engage in respectful political dialogues with people they care about. Also, I hope you'll connect with me on the socials. And the reason why is because this is a really important conversation that I want to keep going until we find a higher ground together. Here is my chat with Esther Joy King. (laughs) 
Hey, so we are here with Esther Joy King, and I'm going to do a proper introduction. But Esther Joy King uh, is running for as a U.S. Congresswoman in the 17th District of Illinois. Obviously, we are in 2020. The presidential election, really any election in 2020 is intense. So I'm super glad to have you on. Welcome to Culture Changers Podcast, Esther. Thanks, Allison. It's great to be with you this morning. Yeah, so we were talking a little bit uh, right before we started recording, and I was I was thinking about the political arena. It's so vicious. It's so uh, divisive. It's dehumanizing. It is vitriolic and virtually impossible to get much done with such intense opposition. What made you sign up for such a fun job? <laughs> well. You're right, Allison, with everything happening in this country, me personally, I have been, I've been paying attention to politics since I was a kid. Um, So watching everything that's happened in the last four years, and particularly for me, the last two years, I have had to ask myself if, if I'm sitting on the sidelines, just watching, I don't even have a right to complain. Like if I'm not doing anything about it, then I'm part of the problem, so to say. And so jumping in and like using my voice has been very fulfilling and rewarding. But even more so what I've discovered initially when I decided to run for office, it was very much about standing up for what I believe in. But now it's it's become over the last I've been running for office for almost 18 months. So it's been quite the marathon already. Um, but I've become part of a movement almost. And it's just, it's very rewarding because like you're saying, politics is contentious, but everybody wants better. Everybody wants something better. And to get to be a part of hopefully creating that has been very special. So where did you, so you said that you've been following politics since you were a kid, which to me, politics were nowhere on my radar as a kid, as really an adult, really until about four years ago, if I'm being honest. How did that start for you? Um, My parents were certainly culturally aware, politically aware. Well, so my parents always said growing up, like, if you don't, if you're not a Democrat, when you're young, you don't have a heart. And if you don't have if you're not a Republican, when you're older, you don't have a wallet. (laughs) Like you, um, just as a, that was just a, something that they said that I remember hearing as a joke, but they were Democrats when they were, um, first out of college, both of them were, and they were fans of Jimmy Carter, um, when he was running for office. Um, some of it, I'm also Christian. And so some of, my parents' motivation for both of them, they liked Jimmy Carter a lot because he was an open um, Christian. So they supported him for that reason as well. And they both decided to go to Plains, Georgia, which is Jimmy Carter's hometown. And they happened to be there on the same exact day. So that is actually how my parents met. They both met because they were supportive of a political candidate. How funny. It's, it's, oh, I, their story is unbelievable. My parents just how they like, so they were both in Plains, Georgia. 
they ran into each other. My mom was taking a picture and she needed this guy to get out of her way. So she asked him, excuse me, could you move? (laughs) And they started, my parents started talking and my dad actually proposed to my mom eight hours later. Wow. On that day in Plains, Georgia. So I think politics has always been part of the, the like aura in the story of my family. Um, So we've, paid attention. And I, I remember watching the news when I was a kid and, um, just being generally aware of politics since, since I was little. But you're running, you're running now. So, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but you're running on the Republican seat. So your parents started out as a Democrat and I, I'm wondering, um, have you seen the social dilemma, the new documentary that just came out? No, I haven't seen that. Oh my God, it's so good. So it's on Netflix and it really is about uh, social media and what it's doing to us as a society and as a culture. And they basically did some analysis and they interviewed the people that literally are creating social media. So these are like the tech giants Mm -hmm. um, that who invented the like button and virtual reality and, um, you know, worked on Facebook and Twitter and all of these things, Pinterest. And they, they said that the algorithms now are if you type in the words social climate and then you know how Google pre-populates what it could be, mm-hmm. it's different for every single person. So mm-hmm. it might say um, if you believe on one side, social um, uh, climate change, climate change, I don't know if I said social climate, climate change is a hoax. So if it is on one side, you're going to get more um, of that. And if it is on the other side, it might be uh, climate change is the the biggest issue of our lifetime, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that stood out to me is this sentence of you can't have a functioning democracy without an informed public. Mm-hmm. So if people don't have facts and don't have the news, don't have a full story, and I'm uh, I I have been I don't know if nervous is the word, but I've been nervous to speak openly about political stance for fear that I'm going to be attacked in some way or thought of or pigeonholed. I'm sure you probably feel the same way. So if none of us have the facts and have the news, how do you win people over? How do you, if you you can't have a functioning democracy when nobody has the truth, what is the truth for you? Um, I'm going to key in on the the question, how do you win people over from what you just said? Allison, to me, this is all about heart. And what I, my number one, like thing that I love about what I'm doing is getting to be with people and to meet people. And more than anything, I think humans, humans have a desire to be heard and understood. And that like this conflict that you're describing the the alternate realities that we both live in both sides um we've created storylines that are completely opposite each other that we fully buy into like each side sure. i was listening to a podcast maybe last weekend um someone was interviewing a former democratic senator senator claire mccaskill and she was saying things and I was like, wait a second, 
I believe that ex- that exact same thing that she's saying about Republicans. I believe that exact same thing about Democrats. Mm. And just it's like stepping back and seeing how ultimately we have so much in common and we're each we're each trying to whether you're Republican or Democrat, we're all just trying to create um safety and security for ourselves and we're doing that through our political beliefs. Like it feels good to have your beliefs affirmed to you, right? Yes. Um, we're not always searching for alternate perspectives on what we believe or, okay, I read this news article that presents this situation. Nowadays, I don't think it's easy to find truth and facts. I think that's very hard to do in our news environment that we live yeah. in. Um, but if we choose to believe an article in the way it's pre- a way something is presented to us, oftentimes we're not we're not saying, oh, well, this is this is leading me towards confirmation bias. Let me actually put myself in a completely different perspective and see, challenge my own way of thinking and see if I can perceive something from an opposite point of view, just to double check what I believe and just to soul search about it. We're not doing that very often, right? Uh, we could be doing more of it. And I, I'd certainly strive I'm responsible for myself. So I'm trying to do things like that by put by listening to things I disagree with and um, by experiencing multiple different news sources and those kinds of things. So I'm trying to be responsible myself, but it's a daily like accountability. So I could just making sure I'm I'm doing what I need to be doing and then everything else like like if I inspire one one other person to do it too and to double check their way of thinking and maybe to read a news source that they disagree with, great. Um, but ultimately, the reason or the, the thing that I love the most about what I'm doing is being with real people all the time who have this desire to be heard and understood, and I get to be a part of that human connection with them. It's listening to people who have felt forgotten. Um, we're this district, who who we are here in the Midwest, um, the representation we have right now is a lot more about the political partisanship than it is about just caring about us as people. And so I get to present the alternative option and, hey, here I am in your small town and I care enough to be here. I want to know you. I want to know what's important to you. And just that, that attitude alone has created so much energy and momentum around what we're doing in this campaign. And it's got to be difficult in a pandemic. So people are socially distanced. They're not, uh, they're not going to big, huge campaign rallies and, and all of that. How have you pivoted? Yeah, well, we do follow the guidelines here in Illinois. Um, we are able to have events um, up to 50 people. So we and we hold events outside. Yes, we social distance. We do all those things. But um, we are able to have events, smaller events, but people come and like every time we're maxed out because people are so excited about what's happening in this campaign. So we just have smaller events, but more of them um, throughout the district. And like we're door knocking, but we're door knocking with gloves and masks. All the volunteers are 
And when you like knock on the door and then step back six feet, but we're getting a great response in that regard too, because people are, people have been at home for such a long time that they're hungry for connection. They're hungry for being with others. And so even if it's one of my volunteers knocking on a door, or I, I love knocking doors myself. So I do it most weekends. Um, people are just like, it's a human being. I'd love to talk to another human being. <laughs> it is the weirdest election the year. Everything has just been insane. And, uh, you know, I, I have campaigned before um, for candidates here in Georgia. And mm-hmm. I understand that when you're targeting people, um, a lot of times you want to target people who are who agree with you. And then some people who are maybe undecided. And now, now it's like open season. So how do you find, who, who do you target? What does that Um, look like for you? Yeah. I have an awesome data team that helps us figure out who might be our, our ideal um, voter, so to say. And we're, we're targeting across the board because, um, Democrats in this area are very upset with with the current representative. So they're really open to learning about me, even though I'm of a different political party. Um, one thing that so one of my staff members is a Democrat and um, well, I don't even actually think she uses that word to describe herself, but she's a progressive like she would more more directly describe herself as a progressive, which is even farther to the left. Right. Um, but what she says to people and when she's talking with, with Democrats, she says, and I think this is a true, true statement on, on both sides and we can dig into it. But, um, what she says is the right Republican is better than the wrong Democrat. And people buy into that because this, this election, my election, I don't, the, I kind of keep my head down and focus on my election because that's what I'm, that's my mission right now. Right. Um, my election is a lot more about, it's not about Republican versus Democrat. It's really not. It's much more about better representation and functional government and having someone that's actually going to work for us, not someone who, um, is going to work for herself or her political party. Cause I, and I, we don't need to get into it cause that's not what this podcast is about, but, um, when you look at my opponent's steps in her political career, it is a very obvious, oh, she's doing that for her own political advancement or, oh, she's, she's caring a whole lot more about her political party than she is about the people here in this district. Um, so it's, it's very clear and it's easy to see. And so people are so fed up and they're so frustrated about not having someone who's working for them that across the board, whether whether Republican or Democrat, people are just so excited about someone who's willing to do the work and willing to represent and willing to fight for better government. Um, and I'm not naive to think that I'm one person going to solve all of D.C.'s problems. <laughs> However, I can be one person that's a better representative than what we have right now. Do you have aspirations to go beyond that, to work in Washington? Would that be a hope for you? Um, that exact question is the 
the downfall of people like my opponent. And so I am not thinking about anything beyond representing it's if I were to think that, or if I were to say, oh, this is a stepping stone to my next aspiration, like I'd be making the exact mistake that my opponent is making right now. And I would deserve to be voted out of office. So here's, uh, I understand that. So here's what I'm, I'm curious about. So yeah. one of the reasons why, why you and I had connected. So I posted something on social media and it stemmed from a conversation I had with my friend. Um, and a friend of mine is Republican. I lean more left. Um, and, and my friend and I are really, really close. We've been close for many, many years, but haven't really talked in the past few years. And I think part of it has been because we were afraid. We were afraid that the other one thought, I'm, uh, I'm sure she didn't think this, but like, could Allison be a, a communist? Is she a socialist? Is she an angry mob? Does she, you know, is she pro rioting and looting? And maybe she thought, uh, I thought, she was hateful and, you know, like a gun-toting whatever. I think the extremes are really, really difficult, but it also is how elections can be won by painting an extreme on either side. And one of the reasons I talk a lot about, I, I don't think it is a good idea to not talk about politics or religion or money. <laughs> And I think that because we have not talked about it is why we are having so many problems. I think it is important to bring it out into the open, but it feels very raw. It feels very vulnerable Vulnerable to me. I feel like if I post anything remotely, anything political leaning, of course, I have people from a high school posting some dumb nonsense, you know, about whatever. And it's intense. And so one of the reasons why you had reached out is says that you do preach unity. You think it is important to unify. And I'm wondering, is there hope to unify the left and the right? And is that a realistic strategy when really you have to go to the extremes? And that that is, personally, I'm no fan of Trump. I know half the country loves him, and I'm aware of that. But one of the things that is his strategy, and he lays it all out in Art of the Deal, is go for the extremes. Always go bold and go for the extremes. And you'll always come out a lot further than you would if you just asked for what you probably could get. And so that's why I'm I'm interested to learn your perspective on the extremes and unifying. And is there a way to unite? Yes, yes, yes. Is all right. My Tell me. Um, and it... I think it starts with just believing that it's possible. That's that's the first step. And it it is upon each and every one of us. So it's upon you, Allison. It's upon me. It's upon um I I work when I'm speaking and when I'm meeting with people, I work to hopefully inspire them to to have courage to do those to have those hard conversations and you mentioned religion and politics and I I agree that the message our society has told us of don't talk about these taboo topics. Well, if you think about these two topics and what they mean to us as people, like for me personally, in my religious beliefs, my faith is core. It's the most core authentic part of who I am. And similarly, politically, um, it's 
politics is often reflective of our worldview, like how we see the world, the filters that we believe the world um, presents itself to us through. And what could be more core and true to who we are, like the authentic versions of ourselves, except religion and politics? Like, it's literally the most central, it's connected to the most central belief systems that we have as people. And society is telling us, don't talk about that. That's taboo. Like, it's this message saying, like, don't be your true self. Don't put yourself out there. Like, follow, conform and follow the rules of society rather than expressing. And those messages, and if we if we choose to buy into that, we're living less of ourselves. And we're, I would think, I know for me it's true that I'm able to connect less deeply with people if I'm not open about political beliefs and religious beliefs Um, because it's so important to me. And so how do we create unity? I think it starts with each of us taking individual responsibility in those hard conversations. And first of all, in in bringing them up and starting, starting to have them more often between people that disagree Um, and seeing each other as humans and not not looking at the other side as the enemy. Um, one way I I heard someone frame it recently that I really appreciated was um, the more the more I get to know someone from the other side, the less it becomes Republican versus Democrat, and the the more it becomes um, some like you can you can sort people in the political world ver- against people who just want something good and they're working towards it and people that want to divide us. Um, So making it less about red versus blue and more about how can we all become people who are working to unite. And I really do believe it starts in the conversations at our kitchen tables, Um, whether we have family members who we have opposite political views from, but saying, help me understand where you're coming from. And Um, I disagree with you, but I'd like to understand why you believe what you believe. And just using phrases like that as a starting point. Um, To me, this is not the be all end all, but certainly the starting point. Um, I know for myself, Trump is a very controversial figure, like you mentioned. Um, But in 2016, when I was considering who to vote for, I went through a whole process. And I first asked myself, I said, well, maybe I'm going to investigate Hillary Clinton. Um, I'll see if I could could possibly vote for her. And came to the conclusion that no, that it was too far out of bounds of my values. And I didn't support anything that she supported. So I can't vote for her. Then I came to my, my vote is going to be a protest vote. And I'm just not going to vote. That's what I'm going to do this election. Um, and... I I was in that position for like three months leading up to the election was like, I'm just not voting. And that's going to be my position in this 2016 election. And what shifted me into the column of, yes, I I am going to vote for Trump is Facebook, like you brought up earlier and how um, politically divided social media can make us. But I had, I have a pretty uh, diverse group of friends and Facebook um, connections because I've grown up conservative. My parents raised me um, 
as a conservative politically. And so, and then a lot of the circles I ran in as like growing up as the mission, the daughter of Christian missionary parents, like you meet a lot of Republican conservatives in those circles. And then I went to law school and in law school, you meet a lot of liberals and I was in Chicago. So I'm like just the world that I walked in and the world that I was in during my time in Chicago was very liberal. So I had my, as far as my Facebook exposure, I had like 50, 50 Republican Democrat. Like, and what I noticed was that particularly on the liberal side, there was a lot of attacks against the other person. Like it wasn't idea versus idea. It was that if you remember the the deplorables, Hillary Clinton used that phrase, the deplorables. Um, that was just co- part of common parlance at that time. People were referring to conservative Republicans as deplorables. And I was like, this is not okay. Like the way that we're dehumanizing and saying things about others who are same with, angry all mobs, same with communist socialists, same. I disagree a little bit on that because communism and socialism are idea, like their their thought processes. But we can we can dig into that. Let me finish the story and then I'll sure, we'll dig into that. Um, so I I said, you know, I can't argue on Facebook. Like that's not gonna that's yeah. not gonna do anything to make a difference. So really, the only way I have a voice is to walk into the voting booth and vote for Trump. Like that is the only voice I have in this situation because. I'm not going to start a Facebook fight, but they're saying things about people I love. Um, and I love like it was my liberal friends, people I'm good friends with who are saying things about my conservative friends. And I'm like, I like, guys, this is you can't just dehumanize people and think it's think it's the right thing to do. Like, are you really going to hate half the country? I mean, and I, I appreciated, Allison, that you said like, yeah, half the country supports Trump. And at least you see that and you're aware of that. It's very arrogant, I think. And I have to check myself on this and like against some of the liberal ideas. I think that's a crazy idea. But I also know that half of Americans believe that. So for me to come to the table saying like half of the people in this country are insert label here, then who am I to do that? Like, who am I to say this about 150 million people, right? Yeah. It's hard because I think that you and I have an intellectual understanding of, you know, I think if you're feeling baited, then that's when you have to pause, right? Like if something Mm -hmm. is like getting you riled up and getting you frustrated, then that's usually a signal, at least for me, to maybe there's more to the story and I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the bait. But Mm -hmm. I also wonder from your perspective, being in a political perspective where it is so dehumanizing and it's very, people are very quick to judge. They're not going to, they're reading Washington Post. They're not going to read the Wall Street Journal and and really pour through that and, and critically think about what they're understanding. So if you're, if you're dealing with that, like how, how do you protect yourself? Like I couldn't, all I think about is, is there was one point where I thought maybe I should run for political office. And I thought I can't, my heart is way too tender. I I think I'll just cry into a pillow every night. So how do you, I think that's exactly why you should run for political office. Hell no, but continuing. Because my heart is tender. 
Oh, it is so tender. But I I wonder how do you I don't know if it's protect yourself, but how do you how do you protect yourself, Esther? How do you do it? Yeah. People are um, ugly. Allison, the number one lesson I am learning in this process is processing pain. Yes, you're right. People are harsh. And a lot of it has a it has a lot more to do with what's going on with them than what's going on with me. Um, so when someone comes at me or brings their aggressiveness to the table at me, my job in that moment is to see to see them as human. And like I yes, I have put myself in a very so public, so public. Yeah, in each congressional district has an average of about 700,000 people. So my district has 711,000 people. So I have willingly chosen to put myself in a place where 711,000 people get to come at me or share their opinions with me or tell me what they think. And I am choosing that. But it's also, it's a job, it's a responsibility to like the job of representative is to say, let me listen to you and hear you what's going on with you and see if I can process that and take that into who I am and um, use, use who you are and what you feel and, and create good policy from it. Like that's, that's the job that I'm signing up for. So when people come at me, it's a whole lot more about the pain that they experience in the world and a lot less about who I am as a person. Um, Mm -hmm. So first of all, acknowledging that and recognizing that. And then I have a lot of responsibility for myself of like, how am I personally processing that pain? And so you said crying into your pillow every night. It's not uncommon for me. I do Mm -hmm. cry and wail. And it is because people this is not an easy thing to do. It's no. not easy to run for office, but to be responsible with my own pain is something I'm learning a lot about. And to come to the table cared for and healthy myself so that I am able to take someone like what someone is throwing at me and say, like, this is a whole lot less about your hate for President Trump and a whole lot more about what you're dealing with and a whole lot more about I I personally think for example president trump is a is a projection screen to this country more than anything yes he does triggering events but we respond to him as a country whether whether we love him or hate him we respond to him in a way that is viable for our belief system it's not it's a whole lot less about him and a whole lot more about us And, um, I think personally, like we have to ask ourselves again, whether we love or hate the president, we have to ask ourselves, like, what was my responsibility in creating this? I shared with you, I, I have responsibility in creating president Trump because I voted for him, but also because I chose not to have that hard conversation with my liberal friends on Facebook. Like what I said earlier about the only way that I have a voice is by going to the voting booth. The If I go a layer deeper and express the truth below that is I'm scared to start a hard conversation with someone that's being so vitriolic 
against people that I love and not just people that I love, like parts of myself, like ways I see myself. So someone is being vitriolic towards a piece of myself and I'm scared to start a hard conversation with them. Therefore, I'm going to choose to express my feelings in the voting booth rather than actually starting a hard conversation. I so relate to that. Yeah. I'm thinking about one of, one of the things that I wanted to have an expert come on here and talk about is how the hell do I talk to my family? And so I, I have people in my family that agree with me, some people that don't politically. And we, we have a great relationship outside of this. But I hate that we can't. We've tried. We've tried. And it just completely devolves. And I think the assumption is, and, and not devolves in a, 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 a nasty place, but it, it's, it's not ideal. And that's why mm-hmm. politics feels so personal to me because it's changed the way our family interacts. And again, we just we just yeah. leave it off the table at family events. You know, we have a very funny, fun, huge family and uh, and it's fine. But at the same time, I know that I'm not alone in feeling that way. And I know that the assumption is I don't have the same perspective as they have. And my uh, assumption is they don't have the same perspective. They don't get the same news. They don't get the same narrative. And so I'm I'm recognizing that I don't come to the table with an absolute viewpoint. But how do we heal how do we heal our families when they're so divided? And you were so right Esther of if you say I hate ex candidate or uh, the president or whatever, that feels like you're attacking my values because they represent that. So I completely get that, but how do you heal how do you heal the Thanksgiving dinner? Yeah. Well, if I knew that, I'd be <laughs> Again, I think it it comes to seeing it seeing each other as humans and understanding understanding the complexities and being willing to live in live in a space of gray and just like being comfortable. I know I'm I'm using a lot of like taglines so to say, but being comfortable in the uncomfortable. It is easier to just want to like Oh, check. I know the answer to that question. I know, I know that this is the way I can believe and feel comfortable in my head and put that to rest. That's the easy thing to do, right? I guess if we re- really want to get well, here's here's something. Just yesterday, this is actually an issue on t- the top of my head because I went to an event yesterday. Um, so, Second Amendment issues. Um, you at the very beginning. Allison, you use the phrase gun toting, whatever. Um, And I went to an event yesterday in a group with a group of women who call themselves gun toting mamas. And it's, there's brands around like gun products and that kind of thing that are called that. Um, And they're so proud of being gun toting and listening to them and understanding where they're coming from. Like, so if we if we were to think of the liberal perspective on gun rights, right? We think um, we think of like school shootings right away. We think of um, tragedy, and of course, no one wants um, guns to be in the hands of people that are going to kill people, right? On in listening to these women yesterday, um, a lot of them were like like once one woman told a a whole story of being a single mother and. 
she was proud to be someone who owned a weapon because it was in defense and the safety and security of her family. And so um, being with, being in a space where I can understand both sides of that issue that um, yes, there are, there are tragedies that happen because people have guns and weapons. That is, that is, we, we need to solve that problem in our society. And at the same time to go, so extreme to say, like, let's regulate all guns and that kind of thing. There are there are women who feel safer and more secure in the world because they own weapons and it is a women's rights issue to them. And and I totally I I agree with that. I own a weapon myself and a lot of it is for my own safety and security. Um, But to be able to understand both those sides of the issue and kind of even here and put yourself in environments where where we do have the opportunity to see someone else's point of view. So for example, another like layer to everything we talked about yesterday at this event was how important it is to have training and to continually keep your training up to date and to take classes because it is a deadly weapon and to make sure that you are being responsible with your weapon. Um, so layering that into how you understand the other perspective of like, wow, there's a whole group of citizens who believe it's a good thing to own weapons. And why might they think that? What could be their perspective? And so you learn from the event I was at yesterday that it's a safety and security issue for a lot of women, particularly. And we all like on both sides of this, we want safety in our schools and we want to prevent tragedies and we want to prevent crime. And there's a women's security issue on the other side. And like these issues just get so complex so quickly, Allison. And to be able to stay in a space of uncertainty and discomfort in the middle and and say like, wow, it's 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 anxiety producing to be in the middle and to say this side has a good valid point and that side has a good valid point. And I don't know the answer, but I'm not going to let it paralyze me. And I'm not going to think that I have to have it solved today. Um, But I'm going to understand both sides and both points of views and do my best to honor and respect both sides. So I'll say that, um, my saying gun toting was an assumption that may be made that uh, it was not that I am anti gun. I'm not anti gun. I understand mm-hmm. I'm pro Second Amendment, but I also think that reform is really important. I don't want to feel like I'm being put in a box of no yeah. guns. I think I was just using the general assumptions of a liberal being a communist, a liberal being the angry mob, a liberal being. Mm-hmm wanting to take away the guns because that's not the truth. And the same on the other side is that there's always a middle. And what I found is, is everybody. So I live in Atlanta. I live in a major metropolitan area, which typically leans Democrat. We are not socialists. We're not angry. The people that I, the friends that I have that are Republican or conservative, almost every single person I know, including in my family are typically moderate. All of us are moderate but we're not painted that way. And mm-hmm. I think um, I think that that it, therein lies the issue of kind of holding up in our turtle shell of, mm-hmm. of it not feeling safe. You know, you, you have served in 
I think it's in a missionary status, right? In Af- Afghanistan, is that correct? I was an aid worker, yes. I worked uh, for the United Nations in right. rights work in Afghanistan. So amazing. So that and then and then having a military background, I'm curious as to how your perspective has shifted from your experiences there. What did yeah. you learn? Yeah. Um I want to I I will answer that question. I want to touch on quickly cuz um language is so important. So what you just highlighted, Allison, and I can see how both of us are doing it in this conversation. I made an assumption because you use the phrase gun to- gun toting. That is not a word I use. That was the assumption that is probably placed on me or somebody who is left leaning towards Republican. Right, right. And so I'm I'm highlighting how I did it because right at the beginning you were talking about different different um, perspectives or biases yeah. that like yeah. ways we paint each other. Um, so I heard the word gun tone and I was like, oh wow, like that's how that's how Allison perceives what the thought that went on in my head when right. you said that was wow she would have found that group of women that I met yesterday really interesting to be with because they all thought they were gun toting they and they're proud of it right they're proud to be gun toting women but to 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 see how like that phrase and I'm my my point that I'm touching on is the importance of language and, yes. and how, and even the smallest little things that we say create perceptions because of our, our own projections and biases in the process. And so you say one phrase and I make an assumption about you. And then, and I, I commented on this earlier. So I wanted to circle back to it, Allison, that yes, I see how the phrase like saying, Oh, you're a communist or you're a socialist can, can box people in. However, I do think we need to acknowledge in our and and take it to a level of ideas and discussing ideas because I personally believe that it it is dangerous that we are actually openly discussing policies of socialism as a viable solution in our country. I don't believe that's American and I think we need to steer away from the ideas of socialism um, and implementing those in our country. However, that said, I see how just labeling someone a socialist and ending it there, ending our understanding of them as a human at that label is very dangerous. What I actually believe when I, when I expose myself to and, and am part of understanding what like a progressive, like say Bernie supporter might be interested in for our country. What I perceive is that they want to feel like they want to just take a deep breath and say, like, I'm okay. I'm I'm financially secure. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it. My whole family is going to be secure. We're going to have food on the table. I'm going to have an education. I'm going to be able to afford college. And when I look at the world, that's a hard path right now. And that's I want to have a pathway to that satisfying life. And that community-oriented ideal that I have in my mind, I want to have an easier pathway there. And there's this ideas being presented to me, kind of bullet point ideas that sound really good. And so they buy into the bullet points, right? They buy into the free college for all, those kinds of things, and think like, yeah, that's a really good pathway. Everybody should deserve, everybody should have an education, right? That's something we all believe as Americans, like, and but without digging into the deeper philosophical implications of creating a socialist system. And so I think there's a lot more needs and wants and desires that that 
we don't see like when we label someone, oh, you're a socialist, we're not seeing again their humanity layered into that. Okay, so why why are you why do you consider yourself a socialist? Why are you leaning in that direction? Like what is your human experience that has led you there? And then how can I like and I don't necessarily think it's my job to change people's minds or to convince them differently, but how can I live a life that exemplifies a different pathway that if I'm really truly living my values, if I believe conservative values work, if I believe entrepreneurial spirit and capitalism and free markets are the way to create wealth and and great outcomes for all of our lives, then I should go all in on living that life. And as an example for someone who might not be fully bought into the system yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. I love that we work through this in real time, Esther, honestly. Yeah. Because I think the words, the the triggering words are really what hurt. That's like the dehumanization. I think it's the crux of why we are so divided right now. And honestly, it's designed to do that in a lot of ways from the media, from the news, from the political leaders. Um, So I love that we're able to work through this in real time. So thank you for doing that. And yeah, you're right, Allison. It's easy. It's the shortcut. It's it it is a lot of work to do the deeper work. Do and we're flooded so with information. So it is important for us to kind of immediately stereotype so we can process and move on. And so the mm-hmm. the the reality, I think what you're saying, Esther, and you've you've said it uh throughout this conversation is we have to do the work. We have to dig mm-hmm. our, you know, we we can't have we can't have it spoon fed to us. We have to do mm-hmm. some more work if we're going to be a responsible American or responsible citizen, I don't know, but to to get to the truth. So I'm I'm with you there. So um tell me about your perspective. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, yeah. We'll get back to the line of question. Yes, military yeah, and, and yeah. Military and working in foreign countries. Um I'm really thankful for not just my upbringing growing up in Mexico, but also living and working in other countries because it does it does teach you um, how to step into other people's shoes and to see life from a different perspective than just my own. So I have, I've traveled a lot. I've been, um, I think I'm at 57 countries right now. And when I was young, I traveled Allison with an idea of like adventure and exposure and seeing like, everybody's different. Like, let me go experience these other cultures and um, work in different countries and see how everyone's different. And I remember a moment, Allison, where everything shifted and I was in Haifa, Israel. We were stuck in a traffic jam and I looked out across the highway and there was a parking lot, um, to the side of the highway. And I saw this glimpse of a father picking up his daughter, setting her in uh, her car seat in the car and buckling her in. And he had just loaded all like he'd been at the market and he'd bought fresh fruit. He'd bought like grain. Um, So he'd loaded all of that in his car. And I saw him putting his daughter into his car as well. And that moment is so vivid in my mind And Allison, what shifted for me in that moment is we're all the same. It was a father caring for his daughter, wanting the best for her, buying sustenance to feed her. And across the globe, 
that is like that is what we all desire, right? We we want to understand and be understood. We want good lives for our families, for our children. And that humanity through line goes to every single person. And there's a whole lot of gunk and layers on top of that. And we express it in different ways. But ultimately, that root is that we all want satisfaction and good lives. We want to build good lives for ourselves and our families. And so since that time, uh, since that moment, I've shifted to see the commonalities that we all have. So even in all the traveling that I've done and the work that I've done and and even being in the military. And actually, I love being in the military because it does highlight like we all get to work together towards a common goal in the military. And it really brings out like your togetherness and your commonality um, in that environment. But ultimately, like if you can see that that desire that each human has, especially in families and what the story that you're telling about your own family, having um, contentious conversations, perhaps like even in the last two days, it's, it's come up four or five times in in conversations with people that I meet on the campaign. Um, Someone told me the other day that they haven't talked to their sister recently because of politics. And it's been about a year and a half and, she was really, she was just telling me about how sad she was that division has happened between her and her sister. And that, like that story has come up four or five times in the last couple of days, um, which is a higher amount than usual. Mm. Um, But coming back to the humanity of it, like how do I see humanity in my sister or my brother or this person that I'm talking about? And how do I stop and say, like, okay, you believe that way, but let me let me find space to express what I believe too. Like it, it has to be a two-way thing um, and having those hard conversations. And I love having hard conversations. Like one story uh, from, it was maybe a week and a half ago now, I was at a parade um, and then after the parade, they had a little get together at the American Legion, which is where um, like – um, not everybody is familiar with what an American Legion is, but it's kind of a club of veterans and they have a, a, a event center and a bar usually is in there. And it's a place for veterans to hang out and to be a community together. So they had a little get together at the American Legion after the parade. And in the room, um, a lot of people there were supporters of mine. They were going to be excited to vote for me, but everybody kept being like, don't go talk to that guy. Like that guy over there is a Democrat. And everybody was pointing him out. Like that's the one Democrat in the room. (laughs) And what did I do? I went up and talked to him and his name was John and John and I were just chatting about like, Hey, I, I, I said, Hey, I heard you support my opponent. What do you like about her? What is it that makes you want to support her? And we just chatted. And like the funniest thing that we found in common, Allison was, Um, He talked to me all about how much he hated Mitch McConnell. And I was like, wow, everything that you're saying that you don't like about Mitch McConnell, I feel that way about Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) So we have that in common. Like we each have the exact same perspective of this political figure that we think is operating in bad faith or ill will towards our country. And I think that way about this political figure and you think that way about the, this political figure on the other side. And like, 
wow, we have so much in common about that's the very way self-aware though. That's very yeah. self-aware though, to, um, to be able to recognize that maybe, maybe it, uh, maybe there's a story here that's not true. Mm-hmm. If you both have the same exact feelings towards somebody of the political party, it's, it's interesting to understand that perspective. So good for you for doing that. <laughs> what, um, where can people find you? How can people support you, Esther? Yeah. So on all the social media platforms, it's Esther for Congress. Um, it's e- my name has an H in it. So it's E S T H E R F O R Congress on all the social media. Oh, excuse me. Twitter is the number four. So it's Esther number four Congress. And if you want to email me, my email is Esther at Esther for Congress.com. I answer my emails. Thank you so, so much, Esther. This was a really productive conversation. <laughs> I hope so, Allison. I really do. Um, it's been, this is a passion of mine to just ask people to be in conversation with me. And I'll close with this story. Yeah, please. Um, it's a fable and like everyone's probably heard this story or a version of this story before, but my dad used to tell me this story of the little boy who's on the beach after a storm and starfish, thousands and thousands of starfish had washed up on the shore. And so this young boy is out there picking up a starfish, throwing him back in the ocean. And there's an elderly gentleman that's just watching the boy saying, what does he think he's doing? So he goes up to, and is like, you can't save all these starfish. Why, like, why even try? And the boy says, but I can save this one. And 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 to me, that's what this is all about. I don't think any single one of us is going to change the political system or bring healing or bring unity. But together, if we're all doing our part to make a difference, we're all just one person, but we're all one person. I am one person and I can make a difference. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Esther. Man, Esther Joy King brought it raw, real, and she gave some great advice as to calmly asking people who disagree with you, why do you feel that way? And honestly, listen, I've linked her info in the show notes so you can connect with her and support her campaign. As for me, go visit allisonhair.com, sign up for my blog and connect with me on all the socials. Once again, everything is in the show notes, and I would love to hear how this episode landed for you and what it brought up for you, because I know it can be really personal, but it's something that I think is so important to bring out on the table. As always, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week only on BYLR Radio.